Hello and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. The waters in the mortgage industry can be pretty muddy. Whether it's investing, leasing, renting, home insurance, or myths and misconceptions, Welcome Home Radio has the answers for you, the consumer. And now, to help you make the right home buying decision for you and your family, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is our 202 show. We are just so excited to be on and have some key announcements real quick. You can find us not only on welcomehomeradio.net, but we'll be on Facebook and YouTube. And you can find us on Apple, Google, Pod Paradise, Podcast Addict, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon. We are so excited. Welcome Home Radio has made it into that world. So today we are going to be talking about first-time home buyers and all the important things you need to know. Tom, how are you doing? We lost our co-host there for a second. I I are well. Very good. Very good. It's a wonderful uh, day in the neighborhood. But wait a minute. you got to give us a quick update. I hear you're going to Hawaii. Ah, uh, yes. That looks like at the end of this week, I go to a, a conference CSBS, Champion School of Real Estate, sponsors me to be able to go and hear about all the mortgage updates and how the the NMLS system is going to change over the next year and the changes, how they're affecting us already. And then I get a break for 10 days in Kauai. Yeah. Wow. I know. Wow. The professor is relaxing. Uh, He is, he is going to take some time with his family and have a great time somewhere out in the Pacific Ocean. Never been there. Are you going to come back lobster clawed? I mean, I, I, you know, I would think so. All I, red and hot and bottom. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> 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 well, all right, that way already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't get out very much out in Texas sun here. So maybe yeah. the Hawaiian sun. So we'll that's exciting. Different... I am so glad you're getting to go. Yeah. I hope you have a great time. Please visit the the Pearl Harbor Memorial. It's well on the list. That is Uh, on the list. A lot of fun there. But hey, today we are going to be talking about first time home buyers and the loan difference programs, all the programs and the differentiation. Very, very important, especially with the year coming up with rates increasing, home values increasing, loan limits increasing. Which loan is best for you and why? I think this is a very critical topic. Alan is the one that suggested this one because he has so many first-time home buyers and they're not sure. And we understand what works in the market. Hopefully, Alan can join us back here shortly. But right off the bat, Tom, give us an overview, just a basic. And we've got four major loans out there for people to use. Really, three of them are the wide variety type and maybe even two but the other two tend to be geographically limiting or conditionally per personnel uh, condition. So why don't you take us a quick overview of those four loan types, please? Well, uh, to start off with, and I I think your subject matter is uh, wonderful today. It's actually something I got finished in my class yesterday teaching uh, with regards to it's the loan officer's responsibility to find the type of product that is best suited for their consumer for the person they're working with that is always supposed to be the priority key for them 
to find things that match up appropriately uh, in order to get them in the right product. So, well, let's break it down. Like you said, conventional is the most commonly used product. Now, conventional, conventional financing, the type of conventional financing we talk about is conforming conventional. So if you have a first-time home buyer going in, they need to ask their loan officer, what kind of conforming conventional products do you have? And basically that means loans that conform to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac standards. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the biggest securitizers and insurances of mortgages in the world. Fannie Mae's number one, Freddie Mac's number two. But that's meaning- Wait, are you going to forget the little sister too? Well, I'm going to talk about Jenny May when I talk about government stuff. Okay. So I just, she, she does come along. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an okay. important factor. But Fannie and Freddie, they set rules for that first time home buyer that include how much down payment is required, what kind of mortgage insurance is required if you're not going to put down 20%, the rate of that mortgage insurance, and they provide specific programs for first time home buyers. Uh, the home ready uh, and the home, uh, uh, what am I looking for? Home ready uh, product is the, the one that comes from Fannie Mae. And um, I'll think of the other one in just a second, but they both have programs that allow you to put down 3% if you have good enough credit and um, you can, that 3% down situation will actually make it so that you get a reduced mortgage insurance rate because you had to finish a home buyer education course. So there's some complexities here to get this all done and out of the way. And of course, in our marketplace, the way it is, we're seeing uh, the market not be very friendly with first time home buyers. So first time home buyers have to sit down with their loan officers and go through the process of understanding and being educated as to the nuance. If they want to put down 3%, they've got great credit. They need to have all this stuff finished before they get into the market itself to contract for a house. Sure. So that's conventional financing. Conventional financing can be 30-year fixed, 20-year, 15-year fixed. It can be adjustable rate mortgages. They offer the whole gambit of different products. Well, let's show. Let's, uh, let's also go to the outliner that there is a 40-year conventional mortgage. I try not to talk about that. <laughs> I understand. And I try not to either, but I want to let our be as educated as possible that yeah. there are those options there. Now, in conventional world, you, you deal with the rates, you deal with certain aspects, but also what about the debt to income ratios? What about the loan to oh, value? Sure. Let's bring up some of those little idiosyncrasies that come okay. along with that, please. Yeah. Well, since we're on conventional, uh, as Blair just mentioned, they've got 40-year products. Now, those aren't securitized and sold through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac pools. So again, that's going to be your conversation with your loan originator about, well, what kind of programs do you have? And as I alluded to earlier, 30-year, 15-year, 20-year, I will tell you that it's best to get for all borrowers out there, if you can swing a 15-year payment, that's the way you want to go when you purchase a house. You really don't want to pay for a house for 30 years. It doesn't work out very well uh, with regards to um, 
uh, total interest that you end up paying as rates go up. We're going to see this total payments that you make on a property uh, incredibly uh, expensive to buy a house over a long period of time. But let's get into the guidance for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac products. So ratio wise, you should not spend more than 28% of your income on your total house payment. Your total house payment includes principal and interest, yes, but also taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, and the possibility of any HOA fees that are due. So we take that whole picture of those items all together. My favorite Hawaiian word, pity mihoa, since we're on the subject of Hawaii. <laughs> pity mihoa, principal interest, taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, HOA, you take all those atoms together on a monthly basis and compare it to your monthly income. If that ratio exceeds 28%, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac say, okay, we got a red flag here. Now, I will tell you on the front end ratio that probably it works out to be more than 70% of the people that buy homes go over the ratio limitation that they require that they request. So that's very typical to be in excess of that number, but that's the recommended amount, 28%. So if I make a thousand, two thousand dollars a month, that means the most they really want to see me spend is about five hundred and sixty dollars. That was, or I should, yeah, that's how that breaks down. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh oh, now he's got to think. Oh my goodness, get out the calculator quick. Um. On the back ratio, the back ratio reflects how much you can totally pay for the house payment, pity me, HOA, and your reoccurring debt. Your reoccurring debt can be car payments. It can be um, uh, credit cards. It can be child support, separate student maintenance, loan. student loans, very popular one for first-time homebuyers. So anything you contractually obligate yourself to repay is put in there. Things like your car insurance, your cell phone bills, and uh, your utilities are not included. But that's because the back ratio for uh, Fannie Mae is 36%. Well, that other 64% difference is to pay for your uh, uh, cell phones and your other things outside your gym membership and your car insurance, <laughs> theoretically. Of course, I talked to the guy three years ago when I met him in a Walmart parking lot who uh, apparently doesn't believe in insurance. But anyway, car insurance. But that's another story. So the back end ratio, this 28 front end ratio goes to 36, basically saying if you got 8% of your income and it was $2,000, 8% of uh, $2,000 is 160 bucks that you can have to pay towards cars and credit cards and student loans. I know some of our listeners are probably going, whoa, I'm way behind on that, that side of the, the, the balance. 8% of my total uh, income goes towards just those things. And that's true. Most people, it's well into the 15, 17, 18% range, meaning that when you go out and apply for this loan with the uh, loan originator, when you're talking with your loan professional, 
you want to be asking them, well, what is the allowance for me to go over that back ratio? Because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will allow you to go over 38% back ratio. It's done in nearly 50% of the loans that they buy. So it's extremely common to happen, but they're also going to want you to show Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac what we call compensating factors. And compensating factors are just what they sound like. Things outside the box that would give the loan originator strength to go to an underwriter and say, well, yeah, we know we're high on our ratios, but look at this. They've got extra money left over after they close. They're paying a new payment of $2,200 and they're paying $2,300 in rent currently. Uh, they have, uh, or they're putting down more than the minimum amount required on the program. Uh, they have things that are looking good for them income wise. They're a teacher, they're finishing their masters. And so next year, their new contract will call for them to automatically be stepped up as far as their income. I think so, a big one for, for, for me is reserves. That's a reserves that's a, yeah. are like, like the huge compensating factor. And what scares me is that we consider good reserves two months where if you have six months to a year's worth of reserves that can over that can compensate for many things. It sure can. And help us understand what reserves means, please. Well, reserves, the uh, description of reserves is basically saying uh, to the effect that uh, um, you have additional payments in the bank after you pay everything to buy the house. So after your down payment, closing cost, and prepaids, you have two months reserves, three months reserves, six months reserves, as you just mentioned. That is meaning if my house payment is $1,000 a month and I have six months reserves, that works out to be $6,000. So uh, you make a really super good point that that's an important aspect when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac looks at going over this 28, 36% guidance and deviating from it. They want to see something that shows, yeah, I've been responsible. I've got some additional money in the bank, even a retirement account. If you've been fastidious about, you know, uh, contributing to your uh, retirement account, I asked my daughter how much she had in a retirement account the other day. And I said, Oh my gosh, you know, if I was your age and I had that much money, I think I'd go out and spend it on a really nice Tesla. <laughs> but that's the way I've raised my children, which is different than how I was raised, which is good. They <laughs> <laughs> say they've ignored the professor and they went on to their own ways. <laughs> They're as cheap as their dad has become. <laughs> So in taking the conventional, the conventional is the desired loan program out there. And, and before we go into any of the others, why is that a selected, you know, if we were to select, we'd probably have cash only, then we'd have conventional, then FHA, VA, and then of course USDA is only in certain geographical locations. Why is conventional over the other loan programs, other financing options selected as the more apropos using loans out there in the market today? Well, um, the biggest underlying reason was that if you get into a conventional loan, 
you're going to have some uh, abilities later on to get rid of your mortgage insurance. In, in other words, conventional in the long run, in the long haul, is less expensive than an FHA loan, which would be our second most popular loan. And if we're going to rate loans as far as what's best, VA would go above, but of course you have to have military service to be eligible for a VA loan. And you can't be a kid of somebody that served in the military. You can't be a dependent, anything like that. You it's have not like be, USAA. I understand. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Very good story. Get this option. I know. Where's the Gronsker now? Right yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, but, I think I think one conventional of that is, in the long run to answer your question in the long run is going to be a less expensive route to go. Now, it has a higher requirement to be less expensive for you to have initially very good credit or good credit. Well, and, and I'm going to take uh, another I would say that is one key thing for conventional. But two, I'm going to say is the appraisal process, the appraisal valuation. What is the difference between an appraisal of a conventional to appraisal of FHA, a lot of times selling or listing agents like Alan, hopefully he'll get back with us here shortly, but you know, they are, they are looking at, does the home, will the home meet that standard? And Mr. Production manager, would you please increase my screen size just so I can see him a little bit better, please. No, <laughs> I'm looking at I, I, Thank oh, you. No. Oh but, gosh, that scares me. <laughs> it should. It was a lot better, but just a second ago, geez. But appraisals are a differentiation and conventional okay. is a little bit easier. Would you agree with that? I would say that that is uh, on its surface, very true. But FHA, uh, if you have bare flooring uh, where the carpet's been ripped up, or if you have a broken window, I would tell you that you really should get those fixed, even if you're doing conventional financing. Uh, I, I, those types of things that FHA finds as far as required seller repairs, those required seller repairs, um, they, they create uh, some consternation on the realtor's side. But if the house is in a normal consternation, consternation, I mean, uh, come on now. I know. Or consolation. <laughs> Don't be using those five syllable words. Oh my gosh. Stop it, Tommy. Um, but the reality is that um, uh, FHA doesn't do as much as they used to do with regards to mucking up the process. And uh, I know that there's a lot of realtors out there that say, well, you can't go FHA, you know, it's an old house. Old houses, if they're taken care of, are still going to pass the mustard. It's still going to sure. be fine. So it's condition of the properties. And we find conventional uh, um, appraisers nowadays are much more um, conscientious when there are pro problems in the house that are clearly problems. You know, a house that's uh, uh, infested with, uh, and I, I'm thinking of my hoarder house that I've done, did a loan on before, you know, on the conventional appraisal, the appraiser went in and shot pictures only from about cabinet level up. So when he did the room pictures, he didn't show that 
the house was covered with these hoarding situations where there's additional animal trails and other things like that in the house. So I have one exactly like that right now. And we've, we've delayed the appraisal until they can clean out the house and get yeah. and gutted. And, and, and see, that's the perception out there is yeah. a lot of people do not understand that the appraisal process, what is good, what is bad. Uh, it is, it's just as equal with the FHA. Welcome back, Alan. How are you? Great intro, man. I know I was right in the middle of a nice introduction to this show and it went blank. So it's a bad, a, a bad day for internet eruption, uh, interrupt interruptions, but evidently we have a couple going on. So well, I hope it back. stays on. Welcome back. Thank you. Hopefully we can, we can get. So again, we're in conventional world. Yes, there's options. Now I do want to, before we close out conventional, I do want to talk to you, Tom, because you said something that I I'm going to have a little bit different opinion on. You sure. said 15-year conventional is the, the optimal. But can, oh, I, yeah. can I share with you what I think and what I personally did? I took out a 30-year. I made three extra monthly made, made, uh, payments per year, and my loan was paid off in 14 years. But it gave me the flexibility. If I did not have that ability to do that, I could extend it, but it also gave me a lower monthly payment as opposed to that 15 year commitment and paying it off sooner. So there are different options in how to approach that. Would you agree? I'm not saying 15 is the best or 30 year paying more. I'm just saying there are things that you, like you said, sure. talk to your loan officer, Absolutely. understand what's your goal is this your forever home or is this a starter home? Is this your, you know, so I, I see so many first time home buyers get so caught up on forever homes that you can't afford your forever home right now. This is your first time and you don't really know what you do or do not like. Alan, would you agree with that? That first time home buyers, they go into it sometimes with a, a rose colored glasses and they need to have reality of, Hey, this is your first home. Make sure it's resellable so that you can make that jump three to seven years. Alan? <laughs> we love that. I'm here now. I did not hear the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. The question? the question is first time home buyers get so caught up in forever homes as opposed to their first home needs to be a starter, needs to be resellable, needs to be their their springboard into their next home. And they get caught up into, well, I've got to have the three car garage or I got to have a swimming pool or I got to have a four bedroom. I got to. Well, these things I'm sometimes bouncing in and out here, I think. And I, I, I know if you can hear me or not, I'm sorry. It's the Internet problems in our area today. So. Okay, well, Tom, what is your opinion? Let's, let's see if we can't at least get some insight because you do, you're not only a realtor, but you also instruct them. What What is your opinion on that? Um, well, what keep, what I, again, I, I feel like um, it's a reality check piece. I'm in the numbers business like you are. And if I get somebody in a hole as far as their potential payment, I, I, that does come back and, you know, haunt me to some degree. I think it's the reality check piece that, you know, just like you said, the first house that I bought 
was like my parents' first house. It was a little two-bedroom, one-bath house that we went back in and fixed up. It was cute. It was nice. But we bought that with the sense of we're going to resell it, not that it's my forever dream home. So the reality check of the forever dream home thing with people is oftentimes kind of a slap in the face because um, or, or a slap in the face, it's a reality check piece that we need to do to say, look, financially, this doesn't make sense for you. This doesn't make sense to look at this over that reason. And I, I want to go back to your point about your discipline to make three extra payments a year. That requires courage, consternation. It, I love using that word today. Uh, it, it, it includes dedication to the mortgage and the mortgage payment. And my parents talked requires about money early too. on in my life. It requires, it requires money, requires too. Money. Yeah. And I, I tell you, the first-time homebuyers right now are really having a struggle. And I, I think I missed the first part of the show here with the Internet connection. But um, I'm sure you covered the fact that it's very hard for a first-time homebuyer at this point. Um, the, the prices have gone up. Uh, cash is coming to the market. Asset management companies are buying market uh, share over list price dramatically. Homeowners, um, buyers are having to pay way over list price using complete waivers of loan appraisals. Um, I, in all my careers being a realtor, which has been quite a while, I've not seen it like this. Um, so the first time home buyer is dealing with, you know, all the things that the government put there for them, the FHA, the VA, it's hard to use them right now. And one of the things that we were, I was hoping we could talk about until I had the problem with the internet is, you know, Blair's comments on uh, most realtors don't understand FHA and VA in an environment like this because sellers just, it's like talking to the hand. I want cash or I want a conventional loan. I want to know that people have a lot of money in the bank to completely waive any appraisal that might come in low or at list price. So a lot of the FHA buyers don't have 50, 60, 70, $80,000 laying around. Um, and right now, um, the last couple $350,000 homes I've witnessed um, myself and on real estate boards, they're going for 415, 425. And um, they're doing it with cash and conventional loans. Uh, at least that's what I'm reading on the history. So it's been difficult. It, the other part is it's such an emotional thing to make your best purchase ever, your biggest purchase ever. And when you're a first time home buyer, that's magnified. I see that all the time. I have to talk to them about life in general, about managing a budget, about um, they'll ask questions about credit cards and about school loans. And then I refer them to people like Blair and Blair can explain it much better than I can. But there's a lot going into this and emotionally it is tough to get a home buyer to hang in there. Your house is coming. Your time is coming. They get really down because they have history, uh, access to the history of these prices also. And they know going in now that their odds are not good if they don't have an extra 50 K sitting around and many, sure. the majority of home buyers don't. So, um, I just wanted to say that in a nutshell, it's it's frustrating for buyers. It's frustrating for uh, realtors, for lenders. I'm sure Blair has 15, 20 
people approved for buying a home that are just stuck. And that happens in this kind of market. And it's it's frustrating. And uh, it looks like it's frustrating for Internet connection, too. Sometimes, I mean, (laughs) hopefully I'm still here. But the the seller, I know we got to go, but the sellers are not really enjoying it that much either. They're getting 25 offers to look at showings lining up at the doors and you know people going through their houses uh, you know crazy like and it's not fun for anybody at the at this moment but i will say this too will pass things will change in the market eventually it will level out and average out the problem is nobody can ever predict when that will happen but what we have to deal with today is today's environment and sure. it's tough and I just want to take a break real quick. We need, we need to thank one of our key sponsors, Champion School of Real Estate, right here represented by our own professor, Tommy. Give us a quick overview. You're going to Hawaii, and Champion School is sending you there. So Yeah, they're, they're paying for me to go to Hawaii. Okay. There's I expect a lay coming back. A big lie going on there. You might get a lay, but you're not going to get the lie. Uh-oh. Fortunately, they did facilitate me making enough money that I could afford to go there. (laughs) But I will tell you, I shopped those airfares. I don't remember if you guys remember about three months ago uh, for about six days, um, Southwest had airfares sale. And so I had a voucher to fly one of us out there, my daughter, and the other two airfares cost us less than $700 for both of them round trip, not just one way, even though I thought about buying it just one way, just to let you know. (laughs) Well, we do want to thank you. sure hope they're putting enough gas in the airplanes. (laughs) Thanks. We do want to thank Champion School of Real Estate for sponsoring Welcome Home Radio and our podcast. It is such a blessing and you guys do so much in this industry to help people understand whether they're surveyors, appraisers, loan officers, or realtors. Thank you so much for all you do, and we're so grateful to have you here. Guys, we need to move on, but uh, conventional and everything you said about market conditions, Alan, is very true. We want to bring up now FHA. What is the big difference between conventional and FHA, Tom? Well, the big difference, I would tell you, generally speaking, is going to be the mortgage insurance coverage necessary. With uh, conventional type financing, you get mortgage insurance. Yes. What is mortgage insurance? It is a cost that strictly uh, protects the lender against the borrower's default of the mortgage. That's all it does. Uh, So on conventional, what happens is that the mortgage insurance you pay for is typically less expensive, always less expensive than FHAs because the mortgage insurance for conventional only covers partial losses by the investor. FHA's insurance program covers the entire amount of loss that could occur for a, for an investor. So it's more expensive and it never goes away. That meaning that after a certain time with conventional, it'll go away after you pay the loan down to 78% of what you originally paid for the house. Mr. Instructor, I have to ask, FHA can never go away? FHA can never go away until you refinance the house (laughs) or sell it. 
Uh, if now let me make, uh, there's always an exception to every rule. <laughs> let, let me, let me quantify this. If you made a 10% down payment on an FHA deal, it goes away after 11 years. So there are certain circumstances, but we always ask each other who puts down 10% on an FHA deal. I've never seen one in all the years. In all the years. I mean, I've had maybe two, maybe three in my entire career where I saw more than three and a half percent being put down. And FHA, the uh, person from HUD in Washington, D.C., if you put down 10 percent, flies to your new house once you move in it and they give you a hug on the doorstep. I mean, it. It, that's how rare it is as far as so that, that's how Dr. Bing Carson got met. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that may, may have been exactly how old Ben, you know, <laughs> met, I mean, who doesn't met love people. a hug now? I know the, the, the thing about FHA, let's talk about the critical thing. Why would somebody talking to a loan officer end up having to go FHA instead of conventional? What would be the reasoning that would require the best loan program for them really is FHA and not conventional. Well, there's multiple. It's that person dreaming and buying their dream home thing. That's the first one. They're paying, in other words, they're paying more for the house than what they either planned or what they uh, either wanted to do as far as their budget. I had two ladies buying a house over in the Oak Cliff area, and um, they were just great First time home buyers, uh, they had great credit, they had great jobs, they made enough money that it was going to be a good deal for them to go conventional. And the realtor, not to say anything about bad about realtors, knowing what my budget was, knowing what the max price was they wanted to pay, kept showing them more and more expensive houses. And eventually we got to the point where I had to turn to them and say, I can't do conventional on this anymore. We're so far up on our ratios at 48% that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac's not doing this loan anymore. So we had to switch them over to FHA. So that would be one of the reasons. The second reason is FHA is designed more for first-time homebuyers. I mean, that's actually kind of the, the mantra that they put out when they put out the program in the last 20 years. That meaning that they're going to be more generous with Hickey's in your credit world. So if I've got some late pays in the last three months or late payments in the last 12 months, they're going to be more aggressive with credit and credit scores than conventional is. Credit scores actually with FHA go down to 500. Now, good luck with getting somebody with a 550 credit score in a house, but typically they go to 580 where credit score, minimum credit score, versus 620 on a conventional borrower. So they allow for that as well. So not only the ratios, being able to buy more house, being more aggressive with the credit, uh, FHA, that's where they kind of kick in with what they, why people would pick them over a conventional loan. Now, Alan, why, why would a realtor not want to see an FHA opportunity when they have they're requiring conventional. What is the issue on their side that they're looking at and saying, we may not want to do FHA? Well, if you talk, are you talking about the seller or the buyer? The seller, the, the seller, listing agent. Yeah. The sellers right now, um, it's a market of everything's worth what somebody will pay for it. And in general, and I'm saying in general, 
um, the people that have conventional qualifications and or cash are better prepared to satisfy a seller's wishes, i.e. fast close, um, just a quicker transaction in general, and again, the complete waiver of any appraisal necessary. So that's that's the big key items right there. And it's when I have FHA clients, and I know you do too, Blair, and we probably share one or two of them. I'm sure we do. So um, it is just difficult right now um, to enter. You know, we make offers and we do as best we can with what we're working with. But um, as a realtor, you stay in your lane. You should stay in your lane. Um, promote your client best you can based on the facts. And you go in as strong as you can based on the facts and use all your ammunition possible um, based on desire and, again, the facts. And then th and that's working with the listing agent. The listing agents um, are at this point getting kind of bold. <laughs> well, we're, we're really looking for cash or conventional. And um, I go, excuse me, I have a veteran I'm working with. You're not looking for that? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Send that in. You know, so it's, it's a little bit of that. And then if you know on the listings, you can enter um, the type loans that this house qualifies for. And in general, that's there for good intentions. If it's got, you know, a lot of wood rot and bad things in it, that will keep a, you know, FHA loan away a little bit. Um, that kind of a thing. But now we're seeing on a lot of the listings, it specifically says cash or conventional. And if you're a new realtor, um, I don't care, you know, just anybody who hadn't done this very long, you might not even bother your client with that. Okay. Um, in fact, they might not even see it because you might have loan type specifications. And if it doesn't say VA or conventional, your client might not even get access to it. So you have, th those are all things going on right now in this, particular market since probably the middle of 2021 until present. I okay. want to mention just a couple of things as to Alan that our listeners, I want to point out uh, one uh, to make sure they understand that if a seller says, I only want to entertain conventional or um, uh, cash offers that is legal. Some people sometimes hear and think, well, that's discriminatory. Uh, being in the military, being a first-time home buyer is not a protected class under ECOA. So I always want to point that out, that that is uh, part of the issue. But I do want to point out that not, is it, if it, for our realtors out there that are listening, listening, unless you have in writing that they don't want to entertain one of those offers and it's a VA deal and you write a VA deal, it has to be presented to a realtor. And it has to be not not just to the realtor. It has to be presented to the seller by law. So I want to make sure our realtors understand you can't just arbitrarily say, well, th that's not what they wanted. You need to have it in writing from the seller of the house. I don't care if they want an FHA or VA loan. I don't want to see it. You need that in writing. So I, I just want to make sure everybody's understanding because uh, definitely I don't want anybody to get in trouble 
but I don't want somebody to think, well, that's outside the standards of the law. That's discriminatory. Uh, it's not. You can specify, you know, what kind of financing you will allow to be used to buy your house. Good point. And we have not talked about the loan amounts of conventional or FHA because we talked about those just last month. So want to make sure clients understand there are loan amount differences depending on the county for FHA. Conventional across the board is 647200 And VA tends to follow right along with conventional, even though their loan limit is flexible. And also the ratios are flexible uh, with the VA. Veterans are really, they're trying to help out veterans as much as possible uh, in that sense. But VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loans, the biggest difference that I see, and correct me where I'm wrong, guys, comes down to is the appraisal. Yes, there are the money requirements are there, but the appraisal impacts a lot of decisions that the listing agent makes and the buying agent makes and negotiations. And I don't know if we want to discuss, but I, I, I want to, I want to at least get, let our listeners understand what are those differences? Because FHA and VA are very strong and especially VA protecting the veteran on is the home ready to be moved into? There can't be much repair work. In fact, FHA has limited repair work being after the fact, after the close. Most of it has to happen before closing. What are those key things that they need to know the differences of and why so that we make sure we're not being taken down the wrong road? <laughs> well, I'm my, sure I understand your question. My, and my appraiser teacher, Randy, wasn't able to get join us today, but he gave me a little bit of heads up on some of the things you were asking about as far as, you know, okay. uh, what's required. So I, I, I beat him up a little bit, but I wasn't able to actually sit down with him as much as I wanted to. Uh, and by the way, Randy, who teaches our appraisal class at Champion School of Real Estate, is uh uh, I have got his commitment to be with us uh, since we now have our schedules laid out and he's going to be able to get with us here awesome. and actually talk a little bit more directly about this because the use PAPS requirements in the you know state of Texas require that a, an appraiser, whether they're doing it for FHA, VA or conventional, reflect the cost, I'm sorry, reflect the reasonable value of the property without any external influences as of the day they're standing in the property when they make their assessment. So if you've got a property that's down the street that's going to sell for an extra $100,000 that's going to close on Friday and the appraiser's in the house, the other house on Monday of that week, he's not going to be able to use that extra $100,000 sales price that was down the street. So that's the first thing you've got to understand. It's as of the time they're standing in the house. So some people will put crazy wild prices on homes uh, when they uh, list them thinking, I mean, my neighbor down the street, when he listed his house for blah, 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 I was like, boy, if he can get that, I better sell my house. Because <laughs> I'm going to end up, I'm going to end up paying taxes on, you know, the, the, the money that I sure. make on it. So uh, I was, um, blown away when uh, it finally did sell, but I know it did not appraise from the conversation with the real estate professional. It and did that, not that's what 
and that's where it goes. The seller is the boss and the listing agent's job is to do the best job they can for their seller. And generally that means the quickest money and the most money. And in an environment like this, if your house is immaculate, you're going to get, I mean, you're, I had one on the, on a real estate board, they had 97 requests for showings, 97. They cut it off at 40. So, and they got way, way, way over list price. So, you know, there's a lot of that going on and um, it's just. But appraisers the, the, can't do the price. They can't, appraisers no. can't come up with price until they've nope. got a history of that happening in that neighborhood, right. which is right. Uh, what, what I want to, I mean, their appraisal, their estimation of value is at the time they're in the property. And I want to defend appraisers in the fact that they do hard work. They work hard to get to where they are with regards to the time that they put in. They have hard requirements as far as renewal of their licenses. They're overseen by Trek. They're one of the most scrutinized aspects of home buying. And yet we oftentimes beat them up when in reality, they're just doing their job according to what the they're given with regards to the standards, not crazy loony people paying a, uh, $500,000 in cash over the asking price, which happens in Austin. I mean, you know, I, uh, <laughs> that blows me away when I hear stories from my compadres that teach in Austin about some of the realities down there, what Elon Musk and all the tech people moving to Austin, what they're creating as far as a, a market to sell your house there. It's, it's unheard of. Yeah, and I, I just totally back Tom up on the appraisal part. That's a good part. That's not a hard thing for most realtors to explain is that process. Um, the hard part to explain is the second part Tom talked about is the people coming in, paying gazillion million dollars more for a house than, than, than you would ever expect. And that is what's going on. And yeah, I got nothing but cred for the appraisers. They got a rough job. Um, we've had an appraiser on the show before and she was very good about how hard it is to get trained, the apprenticeship, the low wages to start and the commitment yeah. it takes to, to be an appraiser. So, and I talk to appraisers when I, you know, when I am listing a property, sometimes they'll call and they'll ask questions. And again, you do your best and yeah. but nothing but love for appraisers. Um, the hard part for all of us right now that are in the trenches here is just the goofy prices that houses are, getting right now and and um you know we have different jobs depending on what our status is listing well buyer agent i'm sorry i'm gonna have to cut us off here we have had a wonderful time we're probably gonna have to come back to that if you want to leave questions or concerns or comments go to welcomehomeradio.net leave your questions there you'll also find us on facebook and youtube Guys, I just thank you for this time. I wish every first-time homebuyer good luck. I hope you work with a great loan officer, a great realtor, and find the home that will get you started in home buying process. I thank you. I'm Blair Thomas. I'm Tom Holm. I'm Alan Pace. And that's Alan. The, the God other bless. One. <laughs> <laughs>